Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairground. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Mecham.com. What in the hell do you think you're doing? Hey, John Boy. I'm telling you straight, it's my way or the highway. So anybody wants to walk, do it now. Hey, everybody, we're all going to get laid. And again, it's picked up. It's Darius Leonard. A pick six for the Maniac. Touchdown, I-N-D-Y. Yes, sir. John, I have never been better to be on the air with you here in Indianapolis, a place where so many of my dreams have come true. The Ride with JMV on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Yeah, my apologies to Jake and the gang here. I spilled coffee all over the kitchenette out there, so I was cleaning that up, so I missed a little crossover there. I had a great deal of crossover stuff ready for Jake, and I left it all in the kitchenette floor this afternoon. I thought sure. I thought sure. I dumped the pot. Uh, apparently, I did not dump the pot. Thus, big time overflow, and that's problematic. But hey, that's what happens. I cleaned it up. It was my mess. However, no crossover conversation. Tomorrow we'll do that. I think Jake tomorrow is at the Hoosier Hardwood Fest at the Boone County Fairgrounds. I'm at the Union Jack Pub for a tavern tour stop. That is coming up tomorrow at 3 with Brent Halverson, of course, in Broad Ripple. Busy show. we got to be busy today because I bail out of here at 5 o'clock. And actually, I don't bail myself. I quit this one and then start the other one. So after this is going to be the Colts pregame huddle. And this evening, me, Casey Vallier, and former Colts wide receiver Bill Brooks all in studio. I don't think there's going to be a Gorman sighting this evening. And then, of course, they got your countdown to kickoff coming up in the uh, 7 o'clock hour. Uh, that's Matt and Rick and Lara from Philadelphia. The latest in the ongoing Jonathan Taylor saga, according to Ian Rappaport, is as follows. That um, the fences are pretty much... Now, he did not absolutely rule anything out. Nothing was ruled out. So, obviously, this came from the representation of Jonathan Taylor there, or at least somebody on his side. I hate saying camp. Somebody on his side of things. So clearly that took place and that the the fences are about as as pinned in, hemmed in, ready to be closed, no turning back, no going back, irreparable damage as you can get. And that um, that's where we are right now. And I think that maybe some of you felt that there's still a back and forth going on as far as, you know, who's going to have the last laugh on this. And I guess we shall see. So I guess what I'm telling you is this, too. It's not surprising. 
Yeah, we have gotten to that point. I think Stephen Holder had mentioned that we really don't know just how, you know, the two sides feel about each other in the negative. I think we've talked about that enough. I think we pretty much know. I do. I think there's been a lot of inspiration for us to know just that. Thus, that's exactly where we are right now. So it does look like what Jim Marseille said, what, three or so weeks ago plus here about not trading and not trading Jonathan Taylor. It it does look like that this may end up being the last gasp. Yeah, the relationship with the Colts and Jonathan Taylor strained, which we knew that was strained. Didn't need Ian Rappaport to tell us that. But the quote, hard to imagine he'd come back to play for them. Again, that sounds like that comes from representation, as I mentioned right there. I'd be surprised if he plays for them. It is possible. I just don't know what will happen. This is a relationship that is not good. Not good. And I think we can all gather that. Rappaport also went on to say that he hasn't gotten an indication that the Colts are willing to do anything contract-wise. It's hard for me to imagine he just comes back and everything is fine. Anybody out there believing that it was going to be fine? I guess if you come back, then you feel that you have to. Yeah, this is like the last gasp, the final straw. You know, maybe move off that number one pick, make this happen because this isn't going to work. Get that out there to court of public opinion. You know, you got some of these reported teams now six and all interested, maybe a top two that have more interest than everybody else. That most certainly not offering anywhere near a, a number one pick. So you see if you can't rattle some cages here and maybe see a decrease in the price tag and get something done in terms of the Colts viewing something as acceptable in a deal right here. That seems like that's where we are, does it not? That's what I gather when I read this a little bit earlier, or at least first heard it, watching it, and then read it. This kind of seems like this is a little bit more of that dialogue that you're going to get. This is where we are now. We'll see if the Colts come down in price. You just sit on him and find him all year, I guess, right? Have this hanging around. He's going to be on the field on the sideline coming up later on tonight. That should be great with Amazon Prime and RTV6 if you're watching at home. Anybody out there think that maybe it's overblown the effect that he has on this team? I'm not suggesting that's what I'm saying. I'm just wanting to know if anybody thinks it's overblown. I'm assuming his his teammates still like him. And I think they all bond together in terms of trying to get what they feel that they deserve. To me, I think the only way we're going to see this affect the team is when things get real. Like right now, when people say, well, why did he make the, the trip? You know, he's having an ill effect on the team. I don't know if he's having an ill effect on his teammates. But it will have an ill effect on his team when they start the season. That's when you're really going to see it. If he's not playing, if he's not a part of it. 
You can put all the stats you want to together on how you believe this thing is going to work, but there is no doubt that that's necessary. I just don't know if I completely buy, oh, man, he can't be on the bus, he can't be on the plane, he can't go, you don't want him around there because this guy is just bad news right now. He's a bad seed within this team. And let me tell you this. If there was a dude, let's go back when he first popped into the NFL when they traded up, to select him in round two. Let's go back to, you know, after he was benched, remember his rookie season, and then go back to the run the damn ball wearing hat era. Go back to that for a moment. The last person in the world you would have ever thought would be in this situation is number 28 right here. And he can now get in line with all the others that at that moment you thought, well, this is the last person I would ever think would do something like this. Victor Oladipo, Paul George, Andrew Luck. The last thing I ever thought. And again, that's why I remind you, no longer can you say never. Because we've all lived it. In fact, we have an anniversary on this date to where the memory is still firmly entrenched. You guys know what I'm talking about. Yeah, that Saturday night, this date, things went a spinning. Yeah, I don't know. I still look back on that. And so, yeah, the, the luck folks and the Colts thought that that rumor was going to stay silent all weekend. Okay, good move. It's a good plan right there. <laughs> and not pop during the game. Not pop during the game. So he has to walk off to a chorus of booze in his own stadium. Yeah, it's funny. You look back on that again. That's the anniversary of the Andrew Luck retirement announcement. And everybody nationally has made note of that. So I might as well jump in just for a second. When you think about it, people always say, well, you know, it it wasn't the crowd booing him or there's always that excuse. It was Bears fans or it was the crowd, you know, booing the situation, not him. No, they were booing him. <laughs> they were booing him for making that decision from what they had heard because everybody had either a phone or somebody had passed along the information in the stands. They were absolutely booing him because they knew in the stands – much like everybody else knew, and here's where we are at the tail end of that right now, still fighting it. So you knew what was coming. I, I mean, even fans can have a bad day, and I'm not going to suggest they had a bad day. They're just mad. That was their reaction. What? So we went from having an elite-level quarterback to down Jacoby Brissett. Okay, great. Thanks. Two weeks before the start of the season. Great. Didn't Peyton Manning say two weeks ago that he was good to go and in a great state of mind and ready to play? You know, Manning was a bit out of shape about that. But I always find that interesting, too. They weren't booing the player. They were booing the situation. They were flat booing the player. And whether or not they were liquored up, which I'm assuming they were or whatever, they were booing the player when he was walking off. Uh, that is a not-so-sweet anniversary that nobody, and I mean nobody around here, should be celebrating because, again, that started this downhill slide to where this organization, this team, and its fan base are hoping that one of these days it actually gets the opportunity to dig out of. Still trying. Still trying, and now you have this Jonathan Taylor stuff again. 
I'll be surprised if he plays for them. It's possible. I just don't know it will happen. This is a relationship that is not good. Not good. You back up a not good with a not good. And certainly that is problematic. That was Ian Rappaport a little bit earlier today, of course, coming up later on tonight, that final preseason game in Philadelphia for the Colts. You know, beyond you know this conversation, you know, beyond the non-celebratory anniversary note that I just brought up regarding Colts, the Colts fans, and organizationally speaking, what are we all looking for tonight? Just outside of the quarterback thing, see, this is why you know that it was important on Saturday that fans really wanted to see him play. And this is where where fans also get it because you also understand that he does need more snaps than just anybody out there. So having him out there for a series, just as many snaps as you can get, you don't just to you don't get to use. You know, practice is always good for the player whenever it fits your storyline. Does that make sense to you? Like normally, practice is always good, especially for somebody that inexperienced. But to suggest, well, it didn't really matter because he practiced early in the week and it was only going to be maybe a series or two anyway. Yeah, it does matter. It does matter. Yeah, it clearly it mattered to a lot of fans, what, 60-plus thousand in the stands. The ones that weren't Bears fans, it certainly didn't matter to them. You talk about a guy that we're going to see, and this is what – We'll see what the television draw is going to be this evening via Amazon Prime or certainly RTV6 in terms of your interest, but it is all surrounding the quarterback. I mean, Manning was under a microscope. Luck was under a microscope. I don't know. I don't know with those two if we're going to see those two, anybody else around here under the microscope that Richardson's going to be under. It's going to be play after play. It's going to be so up and down. I mention this all the time. You are going to get one moment when you, oh, wow, and you think this is great, and you're going to have three moments that back that up, and you're thinking this is not going to work. What the hell was that? Such a unique situation. But besides Anthony Richardson, what else are we looking for? Here's one thing, and if I'm allowed to bring this up, Again, depending upon just how many ones are out there, especially skill position ones, with what we know and what we haven't seen from Anthony Richardson because he just doesn't have the resume built yet. Just not enough games, not enough plays, not enough throws. The one thing that I'm going to look for, that it has been a long damn time around here, and that is these skill position players being able to catch a pass that is not thrown right to them. I mean, it, it has been a struggle. Like T.Y. Hilton would certainly do that, but has it not been a struggle for a while? I don't know what you can glean from a year ago because, you know, either the quarterback was being chased down and sacked or fumbling it one of the two I don't know if you can get anything from that but that's what I'm looking for these skill position players if they're able to get outside what is the normal catch window or catch radius you know how difficult of catches can these guys make and one of these days here relatively soon we're going to be talking about Michael Pittman Jr. being the guy in that category the guy in that capacity 
And that is still something I, I, I think we all would come to the conclusion, right, in similar fashion, that he still needs to prove. Tough catches and tough situations. But it will be few and far between when that football is thrown on the money. So if it's anywhere around that catch window, that catch radius, you're going to be able to go get it? I mean, we saw with Alec Pierce, and really that was a well-thrown ball. That wasn't even outside of the catch radius. That was just a bad play and a drop by Alec Pierce. That's somebody else you're going to have to count on. But I'm talking about the skill position players wide out. I'm talking about the tight ends. And not just so much their play, but being able to help their guy out. That's what we talked about with Jonathan Taylor, man. His production, what he has been, and that's what Richardson needs. He needs offensive players, his teammates, to help him out. Wide receivers, tight ends need to help him out a little bit. Now, that's what expedites the entire situation. That's what gets you out front. And not lagging behind and still wondering, for example, going into year number two. And that's the last thing that you want. But that's what I'm looking for tonight. And we'll see how much of an opportunity you get in this preseason game three. But just in general terms, when those guys are out there, you know, knowing that that football logically is not always going to be put in the right spot, the perfect spot, just how good these guys are on this team. Because all we've done is really talk down. You know, talking about the lack of skill throughout this roster. You know, comparing rosters around the NFL to that of the Colts. These guys are are going to have to prove it. And, you know, what that does is, is help out your guy. Help out your guy evolve into hopefully you feeling good about it and not going into, for example, year number two and still not knowing because nobody wants that. That's one thing I'm looking for coming up later on tonight. I don't know how much else we're going to get defensively, considering it looks like the the Eagles aren't playing this, uh, certainly with their starters in mind. I guess you'll just have to find out when things are live what that secondary is going to look like. scary part about it is secondary, when they've looked good, most of the time they've looked good against themselves. So that's always tough to come up with. But I'll start right there. Skill position players and you know being able to surprisingly make some tough catches. But you're going to have to. And we live in a world with wide receiver, with tight ends right now. Anybody, really. Anybody that's an eligible receiver, if it gets anywhere near your hands, you're supposed to catch it now. Wasn't always that way, but certainly is now. And you're going to have a lot of footballs thrown in that general vicinity that aren't necessarily going to be near the hands. You're going to have to work to get it. See if this group can come along. That's one spot that I'll start watching. Coming up later on tonight, and again, 5 p.m., it is the Colts pregame huddle. You got me, you got Casey Valle, and Bill Brooks coming up here on the 5 o'clock hour. Cannot wait for that. All right, anything else you guys want to hit? We certainly can at 239-1070. Regarding the latest on Jonathan Taylor, uh, an anniversary that is not so flattering, that nobody really wants to talk about around here, and I don't blame you. Now, Reds last night, how about the Reds with a sweep over the Angels? Yeah, the Angels are circling the drain with injuries, with Trout, with Otani. But that was something that the Reds needed 
Cubs get a win yesterday. Yeah, the Reds have a schedule. I believe they go to Arizona, then San Francisco, and then get the Cubs again. And all three of those teams, along with the Reds, are right there in the National League wild card hunt. Yeah, the Reds. Reds got a lot of work to do. But three straight against the Angels and uh, two yesterday. And that day-night doubleheader that they had because of the inclement weather. We can hit that if you guys like the rest of the NFL, any of the storylines going on there. You know, what might logically be of these six teams, uh, the often, in in this case, the most often mentioned trade partner. And if the Colts ever at all come off that number one, if they don't go out and get something, anybody willing just to see him kind of sit? I don't think he will because he's not going to get paid, but isn't there a point in time when if you don't get offered a number one, do they have to go? Like we've been talking about the Colts in terms of being in a a strong position, having all the leverage. I mean, is there some point where you're just going to put your hands up and say, especially if it's as bad as Ian Rappaport mentioned a little bit earlier today, I mean, for the sake of, of your situation, don't you have to do something about it? Again, I don't know how much of a detriment to his team he might be right now. Because I bet those dudes still like him. And I bet those guys want to see him get his. No matter how he can get his. But if the team is struggling and that is clear that that is a need that's not there. That might paint a bit of a different picture as far as that's concerned. So stuff we can talk about at 239-1070. Mike Chappell's been all over this. He's going to join us coming up in the 4 o'clock hour. Uh, Josh Tolentino, correct? Josh Tolentino from the Philadelphia Inquirer. James, that accurate? Coming up at 4.30? Get an angle from the uh, Philly side, an angle from the cold side with Mike coming up in the 4 o'clock hour. You know, I didn't really know this until earlier in the week, but I'd recognized that PopCon is in town. And one of the actors or celebrities that's a part of this has been on the show before. And, and I remembered it, too. And then somebody, I think it was Childress a little bit earlier this morning, in fact, had reminded me once again that the last time we had this particular actor on the show, that he did a great interview while with his family at Disneyland. And a lot of you, especially over the past 10 years, at least have become... Uh, more in tune, and he's become you know more of a recognizable actor to you because of The Walking Dead, because of Guardians of the Galaxy, a Suicide Squad. You watch any of that? You a Guardians of the Galaxy guy? You oh, know yeah. who you know who I'm talking about when oh, I'm yeah. talking about the actor we're going to bring on the show here. Oh yeah, he played uh, Yondu in Guardians of the Galaxy. Now, now what exactly is Yondu? What's Yondu? He's an alien. An alien. He's a blue alien. See, I I know our actor here more because of JFK, because of Eight Men Out, which was filmed back in 1988 here in Indianapolis, because of Mississippi Burning, uh, more because of Mall Rats, more because of that. But he's probably cultivated even a bigger following now because of what you're talking about here too, right? Guardians of the Galaxy? Oh, yeah. Big movie. Big movie uh, trilogy, actually. Yeah. So three of them. 
three of them. I, I don't know if he was in the third one. I know he was in the first two. Suicide Squad 2? Yes, he was in that as well. All right, Tim. Michael Rooker is going to join us, the actor. It was a number of years ago he was on. He was at Disneyland with his family. He was awesome. And I just happen to think he's a, a really good dude. He's coming to town this weekend. In fact, Saturday and Sunday, he's going to be here. And you can check him out down at the convention center at PopCon is what it's called. Again, PopCon at the convention center. And uh, Michael Rooker is going to join us coming up here at the bottom of the hour. Actor Michael Rooker. Oh, yeah, by the way, I'm sorry. I almost left this out in somewhere. David Daring just freaked out. Rowdy Burns. He played the role of Rowdy Burns. Days of Thunder. Most of you probably my age know him for being Rowdy Burns in Days of Thunder. Michael Rooker, bottom of the hour. Mike Chappell and Josh Tolentino covers the Eagles for the Philadelphia Inquirer coming up too. God, who's your Hardwood Festival tickets to give away before we bail out of here at 5 o'clock as well? 239-1070, email address, jmv1075thefan.com. Inside the lounge via YouTube Live. Hope you guys are enjoying the day in there. I'll jump in there with you guys coming up in just a second. I mentioned your calls. The stream, the app, HD Radio at 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Ride with JMV. If you leave me now, you'll take away the biggest part of me. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. My chapel top of the hour. That's... 4 o'clock and Josh Tolentino at 4.30. we got to get you set on both sides tonight for this preseason finale for both the Colts and the Eagles in Philadelphia. Yeah, normally Mr. Blue Sky is a really good song. And uh, Regarding the Taylor situation, here's what I, I gather from most of you out there right now. Most of you are just saying, hey, can you just get something done because I'm over it? I mean, even if you're of the opinion like I am, that you're going to lose a lot and you can't make that up. This seems like that maybe to this point you are absolutely worn out. I think this, I, I, I think they're going to have to come down from their first round pick price tag, but I still don't know how many teams are going to be out there willing to give very much. And that, in fact, will be too bad. And it's really not going to hit you, I don't think. That won't hit you until, you know, you see this team and if they really struggle, which is, I think, most of our opinions out there, if they really struggle offensively, really struggle running the football, that's when that will significantly hit you. And that's going to be unfortunate. Josh Tolentino of the Philadelphia Inquirer, Mike Chappell of CBS 4 and Fox 59. Remember locally tonight, RTV6, if you want to watch it, Amazon Prime, the originator right here, if you want to hear it with Matt and Rick and Lara. Countdown to kickoff begins tonight at 7 o'clock. Michael Rooker, the actor in a second. Simon is going to start the show at 239-1070. Hello, Simon. How are you? I'm great, John. Thanks for taking my call. You hey, know hey. it. 
hey, listen, man, I've been listening to this John and Jonathan Taylor saga since the beginning, right? Sure. And, you know, both locally and nationally. And, you know, one thing that I don't ever hear brought up, and listen, I may get roasted for this, but i got to bring it up. You know, what what Chris Ballard and Jim Mercer are dealing with now is no different than anyone who is a business owner or in a leadership position or just a, 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 a co-worker of a millennial. I mean, you know, Jonathan Taylor is of the age. I mean, he's, he falls in that millennial, millennial bracket. And it's his, the, the approach that he's taken through this whole process is no different than what anybody else deals with. Now, with that being said, as a business owner and a colleague of – of millennials, I mean, it can be dynamic, right? I mean, look at look at the experience that Jake had with Kevin, or you had with Tony D back in the day. You, you know, these this this young uh, the younger generation. And I'm the same age as you, right? So it's not like I'm that far removed. Hell, I think I'm closer to their age many times than what what I really am. But you know, it's 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 a different it's a different mentality. It's a different type of leadership. Um, now, look, I think he's dead wrong in all of this, and I think he will, much like Jeff George, when he spoke with Jake, he will regret this decision at some point. But what they're going through is no different than what anybody else in a leadership role in this environment deals with. And and I think there's, I think there's a point to that. Yeah, well, and, and well, I mean, he, he just has an opinion on himself and his worth. And I, probably above all else, uh, he has – been angered because the Colts are so unwilling to make any movement whatsoever. Hey, Simon, thank you very much. Call in again. I, I think what this has done, this has just kind of escalated to a point of no return, as what Ian Rappaport brought up a little bit earlier today. Meantime, of the Andy Moore Automotive Group pylon, you know him very well. Just decades of incredible acting, incredible work. Going to be in town for PopCon this weekend, Saturday and Sunday here in Indianapolis. Back to the show again, Michael Rooker joins us today. Hello, Michael. How are you doing? I'm doing well, man. How are you doing yourself? I could not be better now that you're here with us. You don't remember this, I'm sure, but I was reminded of this. You have been on this show before, and... The last time you were on with me, you were at Disneyland. You did a great interview with me at Disneyland right in front of the uh, steamboat, I think, right there. The steamboat whistle or horn or whatever that is kept going off, I think, behind you right there. But you did a fantastic interview with me. I don't know what this was, you know, backing up. I'm, I'm assuming it's probably something like PopCon this weekend, but just a, a fantastic interview years ago when you were at Disneyland at the time. Oh, <laughs> I, I do not. I do not remember anything, anything from those years. Sorry. <laughs> I well, I, I did want to ask you about this because it seems like you you get to Indianapolis more than occasionally, and don't you? I do. I do actually. Yeah. Um, eight men out. Late eighties. You were here filming mm-hmm. that. Um, I, I had John Cusack on this show year before last, and he was talking about his experience of, of being here and filming here in town, and some of those memories that he has. What are some of the memories you have about Indy back then, when you had to stay here longer than just the weekend? Well, back then we we were busy. I mean, we were we were working every day, so we didn't get a chance. Well, some of the some of the guys actually got a chance to go out and have some fun. Well, I've heard those stories, um, yes, because Charlie Sheen was was uh, part of that group too. Yes, yeah, yeah, he was. We had probably all the the young hottest 
actors in Hollywood, you know, and and they were they were I I was like one of the last ones to be cast, and uh, I was I was cast on a Chicago. I, I lived in Chicago at the time, and um, and we we. Uh, Got down there and had a blast, man. I mean, it's a great city. Uh, it's a racing city. And um, I, I, uh, I did a movie called Days of Thunder. Yeah. And so uh, I'm, I'm hoping we get some uh, a lot of racing fans that'll come into the show this weekend. And Who I'm, knows? We'll I, I'm sure you will. And Rowdy Burns is obviously one of the characters of the past for you in Days of Thunder. Where, where does that rank as far as your recognizable roles to your fans and to people that have seen the film out there? Where does that rank as far as your resume of films is concerned? Well, it's pretty high in my book. I mean, it's one of my. It's always one of my favorite. When people ask me what's one of my what's my favorite, I, I don't really have a big a one favorite film I've done, you know. Uh, but I, I do have several that keep rolling around in my my mind. Of boy, boy, oh boy, would I like to do a remake or a, a continuation of that story, you know? And Days of Thunder is one of those. Um, uh, Eight Men Out, of course, we did right there in town. Yeah. But uh, it, I think it, it ranks up there, man. I, I got about four or five that are my fa- that are in my favorite book, you know, and that's one of them. Yeah. Well, I mean, what you've done certainly recently from, you know, the, the Garden, Guardians of the Galaxy and and uh, Suicide Squad, it, it's, it's, it's been amazing because it, it's kind of like it, it has. I just played back in before you came on ELO and because it is so readily available music now, whether it's Spotify or Pandora or Sirius XM, it's not as hard as it was when we were all growing up to hear music of the past. You had to actually work for it and now you really don't. And it, it, you look at your career and you know, just the, the younger category of fans that recognize you from their favorite films that I just talked about right now. I mean, it's it's like a it has to be energizing for you, is it not? To know that this is where you are in your career, and now even younger, generationally speaking, the fans know exactly who you are in their favorite films here. Well, you know what? I was at a restaurant one time with Sean Gunn. He did a very popular TV show. He's going to be there with us this weekend too, and he did a very popular TV show that uh, the, a lot of the young young kids, like the teenagers and the preteens and the teenagers, really really adored. And but anyway, we that being said, we're at dinner one night, and there are these three lovely preteen teenage girls just sort of standing and giggling and looking at us at the at the table he and he goes oh you know what they're gonna want to come over here and say yeah about, <laughs> about his, his his tv show instead they came over and said are you you're michael rooker you you played rowdy burns and days of thunder and, I, and i'm like sweetheart that was way 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 before your time and he says and they were saying like uh-uh our dad made us watch that. <laughs> so it ended up being it ended up being there were days of Thunder fans, and it was we had done the movie probably twenty years before they were born. That's that's awesome too. That, that's going to make you feel good, and and on a much lower level. 
Like when I get from somebody that says, hey, you know, I, I grew up listening to you because my dad did in the car taking me to school. Mm-hmm. Um, it, that, that's extra special. It really is. Because, again, you, you are reaching a whole new demographic, a, a, a whole new generation oh, oh, of fans that maybe you oh, thought you wouldn't reach once upon a time. Right. Oh, yeah. Oh, I was I'm 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 like. And the mom and mom and dad were over in the other section of the restaurant, <laughs> and so they eventually came over too. So I, I was uh, uh, thrilled, and it, I'm always thrilled when people recognize me. And it's and and uh, and it's always fun uh, to to meet folks literally on the street that'll never probably never see me again. And uh, I'm all I I just. I enjoy it myself. I don't shy away from it, so I, I enjoy people a lot. I've always, I've always been a people person. I, I was a lifeguard for three years in, in Chicago, and uh, and uh, folks were recognized me even way back then on the street. And uh, hey, aren't you that guard that that works at North Avenue Beach? I mean, yeah, and it's, it's kind of cool. I think that's how Sam Elliott started out as a lifeguard, too, and then got into it. Although he was in Southern California, I believe. That's how he got started. I did want to ask you that. And again, Michael Rooker, the actor, joins us. You you moved from Alabama to Chicago. So you've you've got the Deep South in your blood and also, obviously, the Midwest and Chicago. Did did those first opportunities you get pop out of Chicago? Um, Did you get those first hirings out of Chicago, working out of Chicago? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I went to a school called the Goodman School of Drama, and uh, the year I was, I got there was their very first year of moving, moving their entire uh, uh, theater department to the uh, to DePaul University there. And now, now the, the they've changed the hints uh, since they've changed the name to the uh, theater school at DePaul, and it, it's quite a. a, a Beautifully traditional training. Uh, it, it was a great, great, a great way for me to uh, to get in to get into the arts. And and uh, I had already been to college. I, I kind of wasn't happy with where things were going, and I, I went back to school. I I went back and auditioned to get into the the theater school there. So. There you have it. And I got most of my beginning jobs out of Chicago. Yeah. I call it my home. I mean, it's I, I still have a place there, you know. So. It's interesting to see out of Chicago. Like, um, you know, my bodyguard, for example, is one I remember yeah. from 1980, which was in, entirely uh, with auditions, and then the casting was held in Chicago. You know, Lucas in the mid-'80s was held, I think, in, in Chicago as well. Mm-hmm. And you would always see these familiar faces, whether they were the you know, lead actors or supporters actors and you kind of knew that that was the growth out of the Chicago land acting area right there for oh, those films my goodness yeah. we I think Chicago actors uh, and directors and 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 folks in the business now uh, be it theater business or film business TV business a lot of folks came out of Chicago out of the training programs they have there uh, not only not only the Goodman School of Drama and the theater school at DePaul um, uh, the Northwestern has a great uh, theater department as well and so we have a, a, it's a very very large community uh, theater community there and arts community so uh, we were we were knocking down doors man i mean we were chewing up the 
the the the the, the theater and the, and the film business as well back then. Uh, you know, so yeah, and, and it's still very uh, Chicago actors are still very very popular. PopCon Indy is coming up this weekend, and our guest Michael Rooker, the actor, will be there on Saturday and Sunday. That's downtown at the Indiana Convention Center. You can go to popcon.us and uh, find out what days and where he is and where you can find him and and check him out as well. Um, Walking Dead, when you got offered that role, it was already going, I believe, but when you got offered that role, did you ever think it was going to reach the levels of popularity in in which it has? And then, you know, the spinoffs and still going strong. Uh, and I know, obviously, your character's no longer with it, but did you ever think it was going to reach those heights in which it did? Not in a million years. I mean, I, I started, actually, I was in the first, uh, the pilot, uh, and, uh, and then in the first one, one, two, three episodes, and then my character got uh, uh, hooked. Um, you know, I was yeah. up on the rooftop, and I got away. And you don't, you don't see me for a, a few episodes, but I, my character comes back. And I, you know, I, when I watched the pilot, you know, after we had already done it, and I watched it, and as I was watching, I'm like, oh, geez, here's like, here goes another one. It'll never go. There's no way I thought it'd ever go. I, I, I mean, when they started pulling the guts out of the poor horse, I was like, <laughs> no, ain't going. This ain't going. Look, don't get me wrong. I, I like I like horror. I like sure. the gore and some. And, and, and I, I like it all, you know. And But when I, when I saw that, I was like, ugh, there's no way this is going. There's no way in a million years. And I thought, well, there's just there goes a pilot down the tubes again. You know, I'd done a few of them, and they never really got picked up. And this one, I thought, was just going to be the same way. It's, there's ne- they're never going to pick this up. And uh, lo and behold, they uh, absolutely picked it up, and mm. it caught on, and people were enthralled, and, and they just were glued to their TV sets. Yeah, and yeah. and of course, my character was just. <laughs> uh, for me, for me, he was the perfect character in the world to have. I mean, I got to say and do almost anything I wanted to do and say. It it um it seems like that if there was a character up an actor's alley, that would have been the one for you right there. To me, is when I when my, I watch you do that. Was the casting director, and she called me, uh, Lisa Mason Cannon down in down in Wilmington, North Carolina, and she called me and she said, Rooker. There's this role, and she could barely breathe. There's this role. You, it's it's written for you. It's written for you, dude. You gotta do this. I'm gonna send you the. I'm gonna send you the script. You read it. Read it right away. And I read it, and I called her back. I said, "Man, this is kind of crazy. I, I I like it though. Yeah, I I dig it a lot." And she goes, "There's just one problem." I go, "What? What's the problem?" Um. Well. One of the producers, uh, he, he got the, he's got this thing for you, and uh, and I, and I go, oh, I take it, it's not a positive thing. He goes, oh no, it's not positive at all. Something about some some project you did or you were gonna do and you ended up not doing. It's like 15 years ago or something. I said, what? 15 years ago? What the hell? What's his name? <laughs> So it was Frank Darabont. 
Oh, my God. He's got a thing for me? Is that why I haven't been cast in these last 15 years in these projects? <laughs> <laughs> what, 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 was the, what was the issue? The issue was back when I did days of uh, back when I did uh, cliffhanger. Okay. I, I I I me and Frank were talking about doing a project, and and I loved the project. I was going to do it, and I was and everything, and and then all of a sudden, you know, this is back in the day when I was like a poor a, a dude. Uh, I barely made a living. Okay, and so all of a sudden I get this this uh, this offer, and this is which is cool, Frank's offer, and but then I get another offer. That is like gonna pay me ten times the money that I've ever made in my life. Okay. All right. So my agents are like, dude, you gotta go with the money. You gotta go with the money. I said, well, what are we gonna do? I, I have already agreed, and you know, I was like really wringing my hands, and I was, uh, I was like, it was upsetting to to go the other way now. Uh, simply because of money. It wasn't simply because of money. It was still a, a nice, fun role, too. So, but they said, don't worry, we'll call him. And I had to, like, leave town like... I had to leave. I would have. I should have left town three days ago to get there, right? And it was over in Italy. And, and so they said, we'll take care of everything, we'll call him, we'll deal with it. So they called him and they dealt with it. <laughs> But they dealt with it in like, nope, he's out. Goodbye. <laughs> yeah, he still left you on the. They still left you on the hook, is what you're saying. Yeah. Oh my yeah. God. Yeah. And he, he felt bad. He felt really bitter about that for a long time. <laughs> and here I am, all these years, thinking, oh, they settled everything. Everything. I'll call Frank when I get back into town. We'll go have lunch. And he never returned my phone call. So I was like, oh. I, and and I you know just, you just move on move on with your career move on with your life. Um, <laughs> but I find out later on with The Walking Dead that this is the producer on The Walking Dead. He's the showrunner. He's the guy. He's the main guy. And and he has this thing. <laughs> so I had to. I wrote him a letter, and 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 basically explained my side of the story, and he believed me. And uh, hence, the rest is history. There I got go. in the show, and, and we we when the first day we met on set, it was as if we had never been apart or angry or any or he had any kind of animosity. It was like old home week. That that's the same. Frank and I like we hook. We're like. Uh, you know, you meet these people and you think, you know, I, I, I feel like I've known, I feel not like I know you, dude. I mean, you were so close right away. We were so close right away. And so that probably what, that's what hurt him in the, in the past, you know, because we were so close. And then all of a sudden I go off and do another movie. And it works you know, out in the end. I, yeah. I don't blame him. I didn't blame him at all. By the I way, Frank, the Frank Darabont, for those of out there that may not know, uh, Shawshank Redemption. So <laughs> he, yeah. he carried, yeah. and other things. He carried, he carried, a, he still does a significant amount of clout for real right there. Popcon. Oh, indeed, and, yeah. I, and I love him dearly, too. So now we, <laughs> we're old pals again now. So everything is hunky dory. Oh, like, man. It was, hit or, it was hit or miss whether or not I was going to be able to do uh, uh, The Walking Dead, and, uh, you know, so, but, you know, the, things happen, and my, my casting director, 
least me, uh, that lady, she had my back, man. 99, 99.99% of casting people in this business, you know, as soon as they say, no, I don't think so, they just move on. But she wouldn't let it go. She says, no, 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 no. I'm telling you, man, this guy is this guy is right for this role. And so... Perfect. I don't. I don't know of any other actor in Hollywood that would chop his, chop his own hand off. <laughs> I'm like a. I'm like a wild coyote. <laughs> you got me tied down. I'll chew my arm off. To get away. I mean, this, this. This is who I am. Okay, and she knew it. Uh, and you were perfect for it. Absolutely. So, <laughs> PopCon Indy, Saturday and Sunday, actor Michael Rooker is going to be in town. You are a wonderful conversation, as always, man. I appreciate you jumping on here. I hope we do it again, man. It's even more memorable, but you're always awesome to us. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Thank you for having me on. And come on out, everybody. We're going to have a blast. And uh, we always do. And so, and I enjoy the heck out of this stuff. So, come on. All right, Michael, thank you again. Enjoy your time here at Indy this weekend. Thank you, brother. Bye-bye. Michael Rooker, he is a wonderful dude. I'm over. Let me take a break. We'll come back. I'll reset with you next. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Ride with JMV. Let me have a Diablo sandwich, a Dr. Pepper, make it fast. I'm going to damn hurry. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Uh, Michael Rooker, the actor, was outstanding. If you missed it, podcast 107.5thefan.com. You can go there and check it out. Now, the Frank Darabont story. <laughs> He's just a, a really easygoing, easy-to-talk-to dude. And has been in everything. He actually grabbed, remember he grabbed, um, how should I put this? The satchel, or his satchel was grabbed by Gene Hackman in Mississippi Burning, where he played Frank Bailey. A tombstone, we mentioned Rowdy Burns and, and Days of Thunder. And it's almost like a rejuvenating thing, too, with the Guardians of the Galaxy. I mean, more recognizable with a younger generation. Just uh, great work and an even better dude. PopCon this weekend, Saturday and Sunday, you can meet Michael Rooker. Uh, tell him that you heard him uh, right here. That was outstanding. Meantime, Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline from CBS 4 and Fox 59. Mike Chapel, he does join us. Hello, Mike. How are you? Good. How are you? I, I remember him in Cliffhanger with yes. Stallone. Yes. You know, he's one of those guys that, He's been in a lot of good things, and you you see his face and think, oh yeah, him, really really a good actor, really good. I don't know, I don't know him personally, yep. obviously, but cool, cool, seems like a really cool guy. He was um he was here with Eight Men Out, and I remember talking to John Cusack about it. John Cusack, my friend, my, my friend was in that. Yes, uh, yes. John Cusack uh, told me it was funny. I had him on a year before last, and he said so. Sheen and I would go would frequent this bar, and it was inside a hotel. 
um, just dance club inside a hotel. And I said, was it called Quincy's? And he said, yes, it was Qu- <laughs> Quincy's in the Adams Mark. It's where, where uh, Cusack and apparently uh, Charlie Sheen and some of those other guys hung out. I don't know if uh, if Michael Rooker was, was with those guys, but certainly a long period of time working really hard. I think the temperatures were cold as well, right? It was kind of, it was, was it late so, fall yeah. when it was filmed here, I think, in the I late think 80s? So. I think so. it, it's been a long time, but a guy went to high school with was involved in that so uh and just just kind of it's, it's kind of cool when you see it and you think hey that's that's here in indy yeah, yeah everybody had to dress up whatever it was like a casting call for fans just to come out and dress up in like early 1900s garb yep. and sit in the stands so Yep. True. Um, all right. Uh, speaking of garb here, uh, the latest, at least Ian Rappaport says that maybe you're at a point right now where the fences cannot be mended between both uh, Jonathan Taylor and his side of things and the Colts. Is that where this thing is? You know, it's uh, never say never. Uh, when you say it can't be mended, well, what happens if there's no trade? <laughs> you know, I mean, th- then what happens? So, you know, about um, about three weeks ago, I thought. There was, I, I thought Taylor would be here for opening day. Now I think it seems like it, it will be hard for him to come back for them for, for them to have him back. It seems like there's so much. It, it's obvious to me that he doesn't want to be here for, for, from his actions and from talking to, to people with the team. And it, I think the hardest thing is is when a guy tries to force his way out and it doesn't happen. I mean, how do you welcome welcome him back into the locker room? I mean, the players probably will, and if that happens and he has a great year, then people forget about it. But sometimes you get to the point of no return. That's why, you know, I, I, I've been told they want a first round pick or something equal, a second. Remember, remember they got rid of Marshall Falk with the two hundred fives. You know, that might, maybe that's enough to get it done. I don't know, but I I. I don't, I, I know they don't want to give him away, you know, just just dump him, you know, for a four or five or whatever. But I've always thought the, the much, much harder phase to this wasn't the compensation because, again, it, it may get to the point the Colts will say, fine, we'll take whatever, three, whatever. That, that, that would be hard for them to, to, to do. But to me, the harder part is, is that team giving him whatever compensation he wants. Well, you know, I, you know, someone with the team floated three years, forty million. But remember, the team never offered him anything. There was never an extension offer, which really set all this in motion. Whenever it was in April, uh, in May, when they had to sit down with him, and remember, in April's when he was, he was, you know, I, I want to, I want to be here. I put pen to yeah. paper. That's my obligation. Well, then shortly thereafter. That's when the team said, "Well, we're not going to do that," and he had to feel betrayed. And that's when the the, the the initial trade request came. And then, you know, then everything hit the fan when we get to training camp. So, and here we are. Uh, but 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 the difficult part is going to be that team giving Taylor what he wants, not so much giving the Colts what they want. Although, you know, in Stephen Holder had a good story on ESPN that that. that I, I sort of confirm, which I don't need to confirm what Steven has. Steven's a, a smart guy. But the six six teams and have contacted the Colts and two have talked to trade. These teams would not, especially when you get to the trade package part of it, these teams are not going to go that far unless 
they are at some level willing to give Taylor something. You know, so so let's keep that in mind. Where, where again, what I say is the most difficult part. Maybe again, if a team, Miami, uh, the Rams, somebody, Philly, I saw that name was thrown out there now. If they're at the point that hey, we're going to give, we're willing to give you this, that, and the other. Well, they're not going to do that unless they've got a pretty good idea that they can satisfy Jonathan Taylor's demands. Unless let's just take the extreme thing that he is so. PO'd and so much doesn't want to be here, he'll go somewhere without an extension. I don't. I don't think that'll happen. But uh, on the other side, if, if a team's willing to give up a, a pretty good draft pick, I don't think they're going to do it for a one-year rental. So there's so many, so many things that, that have to be thought about. And then, oh, by the way, he's on pup. He, you know, he hasn't he hasn't been on the on the field practicing since December. So it's. I sort of think it's going to happen because I, I just think they, they've reached a point of no return. Yeah. But about the time you think that, nothing happens, and then and then what do you do? So And, and these guys, the Colts, they're smart people. They are, whether you, whether you like their, their personnel moves, whatever. These guys are smart people. They, they have all these scenarios talked out. You know, if there's a trade, if there's not, if he's on putt, whatever, they they know what they're going to do, what 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 they want to do. So, by but but again, I was told that by Tuesday, uh, if 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 he can't get a trade done by Tuesday, then then the ball's back in the Colts court, and then they have to decide what they do when they cut the roster to 53. Because then it matters; it really does. If he's on pup, it's it's at least four games he misses. Now he, he gets paid, but. You know, it, it, it just takes it to that next level. Uh, the, the good thing is, that in the next few days, we're, we're going to know something on how this is going to be resolved. So Mike Chappell of CBS 4 and Fox 59 is with us. You think the Colts, obviously they put that, that first-round pick up there, you know, for a reason, the, the highest point that you could take right there as a price tag. What might they be willing to settle for if they are at a point here where they just kind of need to rid themselves of the situation altogether? Well, yes, for a one, because why would you ask for something to last? I mean, that's, that's no question. obvious. And, and and what you're saying is it's a good question. What how how badly do they want to rid themselves of, of what has become an untenable situation? Would it be a two? Would it boy a three would be tough? I, someone told me that sort of sort of that they, they would find a way to make it work here if all they got was a three. That they're, they're, again that they're just not going to dump him. But then then when you get there and. Again, moving forward with the player who simply doesn't want to be here. You know, I, I thought the most obvious sign of that was a few weeks ago when, when he was away from camp to rehab on his own. If, if that's not a slap at the organization, the rehab staff, and, and the medical people, what, what was it? So, yeah, I, I don't know what, what their bottom line is. And, and I know I've been told they're not going to just dump him. But that's, that, that could be posturing, and, and when it comes time, you may say we're better off getting this, a three. I don't know. It would be hard to see them getting only a three, accepting only a three for Taylor. But how badly would it be if he's still here? And, and you know, one thing that, that people need to quit is, is that, that they, they kind of diminish the kind of player this kid is. He, he's, he's an elite talent at his position. He is. 
you know, he didn't have a trash season last year. He had a, you know, it, it certainly didn't measure up to the to the to 2021. But he averaged four and a half a, a carry, 800 and some yards in 11 games, in in a totally dysfunctional offense, and all the other circus stuff that was going on. So, and he's 24 for crying out loud. But it, it's going to take that right situation, and you know, it, it really from listening to Miami, the media down there, however they're connected, that there is a strong interest. And can you imagine Jonathan Taylor in that offense? Holy mackerel! Uh, do, do uh, they do they run down there because they don't have the talent to run, or because Mike McDaniel likes to pass much better? Well, uh, from what I've read, and I don't know that much about it, but apparently he's a run game guy. He just hasn't had the personnel. His personnel's not been right. for that. It's, well, it's, it's certainly more... nothing like that. There's no question yet. Right, right. But boy, you add him to that offense where you've got to, you know, really guard deep, and you can't crowd the box, or you're going to get burned deep, which you don't want to do. And all of a sudden, Taylor's running against light boxes. I mean, ho- holy smokes, it, it, it's really enticing. And I saw someone mention the, the Eagles and what, what what that could be, but. And again, here, uh, there's been talk. You know, do they? Does Anthony Richardson need him, or does he need Anthony Richardson? I think the quarterback needs needs the running back more. Uh, I think it will make his rookie season go easier if, if he's got another threat. I mean, defenses are, are not going to honor that RPO nearly as much if it's Richardson as and Taylor as opposed to Richardson and uh, Zach Moss or. Or, or, or Deion Jackson. It's not the same. It's not. But uh, they made this decision back in in April or May that they weren't going to invest this year that kind of money in the running back, and that really is what set all this off. So Mike Chappell of CBS4 and Fox 59. He's with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Um, do you believe the profound effect, uh, the ill profound effect that – a lack of a Jonathan Taylor this offense is going to have not just for the offense but for you know the the gradual improvement of its rookie very inexperienced quarterback I, I mean of of all the things you could fall into to start this season with Anthony Richardson this has to be among the worst would you agree with that yeah unless you want to lose an offensive lineman or two yeah no question yeah that, that's why I say it's so many times when you bring in the, the rookie quarterback, the, the team doesn't, you know, ha- have the right people, the right personnel, the right supporting cast around him, and that's why a lot of times it doesn't work. I go back to Jeff George. You know, who knows if that would have worked or not, but, boy, they, they put him behind the eight ball by getting rid of Ryzen and Hinton to, to get him. So it, it, it's certainly not going to help Anthony Richardson. And they're going to – they're going to they're gonna, I don't say protect, but they're going to accentuate what Richardson does and sort of stay away from what he's not really ready to do yet. They're not going to have a major thick playbook for him, but no one can tell me that not, you know, that, that, that it's going to be better to not have Taylor here. I don't believe that. I mean, it's a happy Taylor, a contented Taylor here. I don't believe that at all. But uh, at the same time, I keep thinking about if, when you make somebody do something because you can, you know, I, I can, you know, you've got to come to work at four o'clock in the morning yeah. because I'm your boss. And I'm telling you to, well, what kind of a, what kind of an employee do you have? And that's, that's, that is what JT is. That's what all these guys are. They're employees as, as much. And there've been some shots at her saying, I understand that, 
you know how he's how he treats players poor, you know this, and that's just wrong. The problem is, you, you, all, everything now is being shown through the prism of Jonathan Taylor, and I understand that. You know, don't don't. It, it's hard for the owner to say, "Hey, I have a history. We have a history of taking care of our players," which they do, but not JT. So it, it, it's it's apples and oranges when it comes to that. But it's it's not. This is not going to be a better team on the field with a with a uh, locked in. Jonathan Taylor, but boy, if if it comes to where you make a player come here and play, stay here and play, you know, maybe maybe he misses the first four games on pup with that ankle or whatever. At some point, if there's no trade, he he has to play because if he doesn't, we're back here next year, and he's going to be a year older, and, and will not have played for like a year and a half. Yeah, so, well, and uh, then he misses out on a year of service too, and, well, and that and service time is important to him. So, yeah, and that's four million you don't get back. So, but, but the idea of, of forcing a guy, I know Rick Venturi tried to do that with Eric Dickerson, and it didn't work. You know, they ended up suspending him when Eric refused to practice, and, and, and Venturi said, "I'm the head coach, doggone it, you're going to do what I tell you," and they suspended him. So it's just it's just difficult when you force a guy to do something that he clearly doesn't want to do, and it, it's what, that's what was so crazy when we talked to Ursay in, in at training campus. You know, we, you know, it's always like we love Jonathan, yes, yes, and all this, and we we hope this works out because we really look forward to him being out there with with Anthony Richardson. And he mentions you know Falk and Peyton Manning, and all Taylor is hearing is so you want to. Wear my butt out being part of this offense, yet you're not going to pay me? And I, I understand him hearing that. But the fact is he signed a four-year contract, and the timing on so many levels and so many different issues couldn't be worse. So they sort of said, well, here, if, if you can find a, a, a trade partner and knock yourself out. Now, Taylor would much rather have had this option in March or April when they may, may you know, could have done that. It's you really limit your options when everybody has their rosters pretty well put together. You already spent money on the free agents you wanted to, but it only takes one or two teams to make a deal. And I'll tell you, for the Colts, if they find two or three teams with a serious interest—I mean, a serious interest—then maybe they get closer to that compensation that they really want. You think Jonathan Taylor? As many people have said to me, and of which I, I don't think I buy it in terms of of teammates and how they feel about him and what he's doing right now. But people have suggested, why is he in Philly? Why is he with the team? He shouldn't be allowed to hang out with them. He's a a detriment to them and their morale right now. Um, I don't happen to think his teammates view him in that fashion like the fans and others might right now. Would you agree? I agree. It it really, I mean, there may be a few players who, who aren't really – on on board with this, but but you talk to most players, and hey, that's his business, that's his contract, that's his money he's dealing with, and they really let players handle their own business. He's in Philly because he, he's a member of the team, and they're going to make him go there. Which I, you know, whether that's being hard asses or not, I don't know, but uh, I think they've been. In, in a few instances, very, very lenient about things. Again, allowing him to, to, to rehab on his own that week. I, we mentioned it. I, I can't remember the last time that's happened. And I'm sure the team could have said, no, you're not. You're, you know, you're, you're part of our team. You're going to work out with our people. They didn't do that. And it didn't really matter. 
that's why I say it, it seems like in his mind he's done. He's done. I, I think again when 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 he got the word that they were not going to extend him and they'll talk contract at the end of the season. I, it, it's obvious to me that he viewed that as a, a major betrayal of trust. And, and then here we are. So, uh, again, when you, when you have that type of disdain for, for our team and the situation, how do you patch it up and say, okay, I'm going to play and we'll deal with this next year. Now, Edron, Edron comes to mind, and I talked to Edron about this, and he wanted a new contract too and didn't get one, and they franchised him. And he came in and you know, worked his ass off and got a four-year, $30 million contract from Arizona the next year. Now, it's different because Edgerton had played, I think it was six years or whatever, six or seven years here. And Taylor's played three, so it's not quite the same. And Falk's not quite the same because he had played like five years. Uh, but, you know, the, the important thing for everybody is this, this will re- be resolved by next Tuesday or he's on PUP which is still a possibility. You know, people. we need to keep in mind that any team trading for him has to believe or have have some belief that he's, that he, that he's healthy. And, he's again, he's not been on the practice field since December. And this is after surgery in January that was supposed to be cleared up in, I don't know. If he, if he signed weeks. this afternoon, do you think he would play tomorrow or practice tomorrow? Because I do. I do, but... but and, and I, I know it's I, dangerous I, territory, I know. I know it is, and, I, and I've gone too far a few times where we're hinting that it's a hold in. Not hinting, but saying it, and I shouldn't. That's not fair. Uh, all I know is that everything you hear is is that this this should. Even he said it, 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 thing, things were done perfectly in all this. And again, whether whether he aggravated it while rehabbing or or whatever, I don't know. And, and part of the issue is is we've not heard from from Taylor since yeah. the off season or since. Uh, OTAs or minicamp, whatever it was. So w- when you don't have all the facts, there's speculation, and that's that's a dangerous road to go down. Now, there, there's every possibility that, that we never talk to that kid again here as a Colt. Yeah. No. So, right. so we'll see. It's uh, Mike Chappell of CBS4 and Fox 59 on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline, and uh, you get the Colts and the Eagles in that final preseason game. And there is a, a deadline looming regarding Jonathan Taylor here at some point and uh, the Colts situation with their running back. And Mike talked about that again on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Mike, I appreciate it. Enjoy the game tonight. We'll do it again next week. Talk to you then. It's uh, Mike Chappell of CBS 4 and Fox 59. Kind of curious what they may end up settling on. Seems like that's the path in which they're taking right now quick break we'll come back some of your thoughts via x and or twitter we'll get to your calls too and josh tolentino of the philadelphia inquirer chimes in about the game tonight as well prepared for this and then the five o'clock hour get you into the colts pregame huddle talk about that as well coming up too. 93.5107.5 the fan whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Ride with JMV. You take drugs, Danny? Every day. Good. So what's the problem? I don't know. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Uh, Mike Chappell a little bit earlier, podcast 1075thefan.com, and actor Michael Rooker was on here. Uh, he's going to be in town this weekend. 
and uh, is familiar with Indy, by the way. Has been here a couple of different times, even beyond eight men out. Uh, the former Walking Dead star, Guardians of the Galaxy and more. That podcast with a great conversation with Michael Rooker, available at 1075thefan.com. Meantime, Andy Moore, Automotive Group Hotline. He's from the Philadelphia Inquirer. Eagles coverage he gives, and Josh Tolentino joins us right now. Hello, Josh. How are you doing? Danby, pleasure to uh, join you ahead of the preseason finale tonight, if you want to call it that. A lot of fireworks obviously uh, occurred here the uh, other day involving these two teams, so it should be a doozy. Hey, you were on site, I believe. A little bit about that, and I, I guess it depends on who was – everybody was involved, I guess, the way it was described to me, almost everybody. Uh, could there be a bit of a boil over this evening from what took place a couple of days ago in that get-together? You know, not necessarily. You know, maybe if these reserve players are, are still kind of holding on those ill feelings, but, uh, you know, at the end of the day, these guys that are actually going to be playing tonight are fighting for – uh, their NFL lives, so it'd be silly of them to, you know, yeah. escalate or continue what uh, happened on Tuesday because uh, that really occurred between, you know, some top players of both teams. Obviously, Zaire Franklin, a Philly native, and uh, Jason Kelsey were the main culprits there, but I uh, don't necessarily anticipate any spillover. Definitely on the Eagles' side, um, certainly uh, the starters are not playing, so um, I think that's going to, you know, largely factor into uh, that question. What did you see uh, in those uh combined practices that you you witnessed the other day when that whole fight happened and then it ended obviously abruptly uh, with that brawl and practice was over in that fashion. But what what, would you see on on both sides of the football, especially from a Colts standpoint that Colts fans would be interested in or maybe Colts fans Josh may be disappointed in? Yeah, JMV, I'll I'll kind of paint the picture for you here, but it was almost, uh, you know, I'd consider the climax of the summer, just definitely the most exciting action uh, we've seen, and you certainly saw it brewing. Uh, and I'll start with a, an instigator from the Eagles, and he's built a reputation, uh, you know, in the city and, and really with the league, with the officials in terms of uh, his actions after the whistle. Uh, Derek Barnett, um, you know, infamously, famously, you know, whoever you ask, uh, recovered the fumble in, in the Super Bowl for the Eagles. Um, but Derek Barnett, uh, there were a couple instances on Tuesday when, uh, most notably when he hit uh, Anthony Richardson, Anthony Richardson's hand, and you know that's a no-no during training camp. And you know the quarterbacks are, are definitely supposed to be off, off limits in terms of uh, no contact. That's the big reason why they wear that red jersey. And uh, you know, so Derek Barnett stretching the unwritten rules there of making contact with AR, and uh, you know that happened right in front of the Colts sideline too. So certainly uh, took a lot of willpower to do that. But uh, that that was really the first uh, kind of uh, big scuffle or incident, and then uh, a couple plays or a couple series later, you know, Jason Kelsey just getting uh, the best of him and with his emotions uh, he had discussed afterwards with. Uh, shoving Zaire Franklin to the ground, uh, you know, essentially ran over him uh, from behind. Zaire <laughs> had no idea that, that Kelsey was, uh, you know, going to be making contact with him. And there were certainly some after fireworks uh, on the previous play, but um, just the spillover, you know, a big uh, snowball effect uh, from the practice. And uh, it sucks that, you know, depending on your fan perspective, that you don't get to see the starters go after each other. Yeah. Um, you know, it's kind of like a base baseball um, a reference. If you're, you know, if you beam me, I'm going to beam you uh, in terms of, uh, you know, hitting the other guy. So 
but again, like what we mentioned earlier, a lot of guys fighting for their NFL lives tonight. So I would be very surprised if we saw any spillover. Hey, Josh Tolentino covers the Eagles for the Philadelphia Inquirer. He will be there this evening. He joins us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline right now. So no starters at all from an Eagles standpoint. Is that what we're looking at? You know, there's a discussion from uh, what I heard. I checked in with a couple of uh, people uh, close around the team uh, this morning, last night, uh, you know, where, where there might be a, a couple personnel playing. You know, they want to see more reps uh, specifically from the linebackers and safety pairings. But the main offensive starters, I'm talking like A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, Dallas Goddard, obviously Jalen Hurts, they will not be playing uh, based on uh, everything that we've been told. Uh, so, but you know, I, you know who I am excited to see though is AR. Uh, you know, not not that many uh, uh, people get treated to you know seeing a top uh, pick like him. And well, the fan base here was very excited to see him on Saturday, and they decided at the last minute, or not at the last minute, but didn't tell him until the last minute he didn't play. So yeah, that's what we got okay, here. Okay, well, well we'll see if he's out there. But <laughs> no, he's going to be he's going to be out there tonight. There's no doubt. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and the weather kind of factors in. It's raining right now. Uh, you know, kickoffs obviously in a couple hours, so we'll see if it subsides, but. Uh, what we saw on Tuesday and, you know, that limited uh, brief uh, practice, AR was slinging the thing. You know, you know, he's going up against these uh, top cornerbacks, Darius Slade, James Bradbury, considered a top, you know, whatever, top three, top five duo in the league. And he, he was putting the ball in, in some nice spots for his receivers. He hit Alec Pierce, uh, I remember, uh, vividly during a seven-on-seven period. So uh, certainly some, some talent there, you know, if you're a Colts fan, to be excited about just from a, a visiting perspective. From watching that, and I know it was just one, one practice right there that you saw, but with his capabilities at times of, of getting it in there, I, I mentioned this earlier, what I want to watch for from a Colts standpoint, Josh, tonight is the skill position players, and they're put in situations to where they have to make catches outside what is their – their normal catch radius or catch window. I mean, tough catches. And notoriously speaking, this group and groups of the past really haven't done that. I think it's going to be incredibly necessary for the growth of this rookie quarterback that's so inexperienced to see that group be able to do that. Did it look to you like that they had capabilities of it when you watched them the other day? A bit. You certainly saw them trying to, you know, create separation, off, again, off, uh, you know, what would many would consider one of the top cornerback uh, pairings in the league and James Bradbury and Darius Slay, you know, um, both have, you know, complementing skill sets in terms of uh, what they do on the field. You know, James Bradbury, a very big, physical, tough uh, zone corner. You know, Darius Slay, he's, he's ready to go mano a mano with you. Um, and, and you certainly saw glimpses of that, but uh, just in comparison to what you just spoke about, uh, John, is you look at uh, Jalen Hurts' trajectory in his second uh, season. Uh, really, you know, you consider his rookie year since his actual rookie year. He didn't really play until the end of the the season. But uh, when he took over the full uh, full reins as the starter, uh, you look at the advanced analytics of that receiver group that he was playing with. You know, that was uh, Devontae Smith's rookie year. They still had Jalen Rager um, on the team. But the um, receivers that he was playing with, I mean, they were in terms of uh, separation and, again, the advanced uh, stats. I want to say like they were they were literally towards the bottom of the league uh, in terms of uh, separate, creating separation and you know the ability for uh, Hertz in this instance to to make those throws. So you know Shane Steichen and Chris Bell, they're they're going to have to certainly uh, uh, address the personnel in terms of uh, supporting AR with a, a good cast. Uh, you know you look at the the Eagles roster. You know Hertz is a big 
part of the train that goes, but he's certainly supported by one of the best uh, rosters in the league, and it's going to be a process for uh, a team like the Colts to, to get there. But you like the intrigue with the talent, uh, certainly the arm uh, with AR from what we've seen in that one practice. Josh Tolentino of the Philadelphia Inquirer covers the Eagles on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Eagles and Colts tonight. Again, we come with the pregame coverage, top of the hour with me, Casey Vallier, and former Colts wide receiver Bill Brooks here on the Colts pregame huddle. There's been rumors, and the rumors are floating everywhere regarding Jonathan Taylor right now, but I saw some, some rumored interest from an Eagles standpoint. Is there at all that there from what you gather? Yeah, the team has certainly checked in. Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't uh, be able to uh, gauge, like, the exact uh, interest. But anytime a, a talented player there, uh, you know, such as the skill set of Jonathan Taylor and even the the experience between the two teams, you know, Nick Sirianni uh, obviously being a former uh, Colts on, on the Colts coaching staff, a lot of familiarity there. And uh, anytime you know, thought the, the Eagles running back room was set, you know, after losing a key piece and Miles Sanders had been the lead back here for the past uh, three, four years, and, you know, now they, they've got, uh, you know, they had DeAndre Swift and Rashad Penny in the offseason. Uh, Kenneth Gainwell is gaining steam here. Then here you are at the end of camp, and a guy like JT becomes uh, available. So the team has certainly checked in. Um, and if they, you know, if they were to acquire a talent like that, I just it's, it's difficult. You know, when you look at the finances part of it, the, the contractual uh, obligations that are, are going to have to be uh, handed out to to Jonathan Taylor, the, the Eagles certainly have the draft capital to, uh, you know, swing a move like that. Even, you know, you're talking about like a day two uh, pick, you know, depending on value, but uh, making the money work, you just, uh, you know, it's such a league wide trend, especially in Philadelphia. You look at Miles Sanders contract, what he got this year. I think he's at like around a six, seven million annual average. The entire Eagles running back room, like I'm talking about all six guys on the 90 man roster right now, they're making less than what Miles Sanders is making. Uh, you know, obviously only three, four, got, three, four of those guys will make the roster. So the allocation part is what worries me if you're uh, thinking about that possibility. Yeah, and I mean, you'd have to you'd have to double that <laughs> for the, for the, yeah, in yeah. an extension too uh, to with the Taylor interest. But you know, it's just you you kind of look at you know Nick Sirianni, you look at that that dynamic, and and then obviously I, I've said this, and I, I want to get your opinion on it, Josh. You, you bring up Miles Sanders, who rushed for over twelve hundred yards, and, and certainly. Um, you look at the offense and the offensive line, the skill position players, so incredibly talented and balanced right there. Even Jalen Hurts went for over 700 yards rushing a year ago. But how was how important was Miles Sanders? Because it's been my opinion here that in the development of Anthony Richardson, with all that inexperience, that a talented running back, a productive running back, is highly important for this, this development we're going to see in year number one for Richardson. How important was Sanders in that equation with that offense we saw go to the Super Bowl a year ago. Yeah, certainly early on, you think what that uh, Shane Steichen and what he did uh, specifically for Hertz tailoring that zone read RPO uh, heavy offense for Jalen Hertz and Miles Sanders. Uh, Miles, he did tail off uh, towards the end of the year. I think he still had above a five yard uh, average in terms of uh, yards per carry. So uh, it's a tough question, but uh, certainly Shane has shown, uh, you know, in the offenses that he's been with that he tailors you know, play on words here, but Taylor's the the, the offensive playbook towards uh, the quarterback strengths. And, you know, that's something that you should expect there in Indianapolis. But 
uh, in terms of Miles, you see the uh, treatment that they gave him the offseason. You know, he was essentially begging. <laughs> I'm talking, John, begging, uh, you know, throughout the postseason, you know, during his weekly availabilities late in the year, December, January. Like, I want to stay here. You know, I, I, this is where I want to be. This is the only place I know. And uh, you see what the Eagles did in, in the offseason, adding two guys, not named Miles Sanders, to yeah. the roster. So, um, you know, allocation there is, is, is definitely a tough thing. Getting back to the, the Jonathan Taylor point, I mean, would they did they want a single back to to have the type of rushing production that he had a year ago, or are they looking for it in a combined effort all the way around? Because it was often mentioned, well, it, it was a combined effort last year. While it was, he was still the main figure with the twelve hundred plus yards rushing that I I would deem important, even if your quarterback goes for over seven hundred as Hurts did a year ago. Yeah, no, Nick Sirianni claims that they're they're working towards a, a committee approach, but at the end of the day, I, I think they're they're going to have a lead horse, and you know the the top two candidates for that are DeAndre Swift, who makes his homecoming here to Philadelphia from Detroit, and Kenny Gainwell heading into his third year. We've seen him exclusively be the team's featured running back in two minute instances uh, in goal line packages. Uh, so you know they they have some change of uh, play, pace guys. You know Rashad Penny, Boston Scott in there at the goal line, the veteran, but. I'd expect uh, DeAndre Swift or, or Kenneth Gainwell if we're talking, you know, who's getting the bulk of the carries. And I think it will be drastic, like what you mentioned. Uh, you know, Nick Sirianni can claim uh, the committee approach all he wants, and that's what he did last year. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, in the past couple of years, and we've seen Miles Sanders uh, take that heavy workload. You know, Jalen Hurts, like what you mentioned, plays a big picture in, in that outcome. Hey, enjoy a lot of Ian Book tonight, right? Oh, man, Ian Book. Uh, hot topic out here. You know, he's, uh, uh, you know, was a serviceable, you know, third third string backup last year with Minshew in the room. And he just looked, uh, I mean, you could use whatever adjective you want, but <laughs> did not look good in that uh, preseason opener. It was almost surprising that he didn't play at all in, in last uh, week's game with the Cleveland Browns, but uh, certainly expect him to, to see some time here in the second half. Hey, fantastic work, Josh. I appreciate you hopping on here before a game on this Thursday. It's in Philly, obviously, tonight with the Colts and the Eagles. You got it right here, and Josh Tolentino writes regarding the Eagles for the Philadelphia Inquirer. We'll do this again down the road, man. I appreciate you, Josh. Thank you very much. JMV, hit me up anytime. Always a pleasure. You got Enjoy it. Again. Josh Tolentino. It's really good. Philadelphia Inquirer. Man, that's a good it's a good day to squeeze really good stuff in. Josh Tolentino, Mike Chappell, and actor Michael Rooker. Podcast 1075thefan.com. Stuff to win, and we'll get you set for the Colts pregame huddle, which is coming up at 5 o'clock. 935 the fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Ride with JMV. Get him a body bag! Yeah! <laughs> 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Oh, man, what a good two hours right there. I love that. Uh, podcast with Josh Tolentino of the Philadelphia Inquirer. Mike Chappell, of course, of CBS 4 and Fox 59. And Michael Rooker, the actor. Uh, second time on the show. is going to be in town this weekend for PopCon down at the convention center. Uh, spent a lot of time in Indy over the years, too. Uh, originally from Chicago. But uh, what a good dude, too. 
So if you get down there this weekend, make sure you tell him that you heard him here and hello. Just what a fantastic interview. Again, if you missed any of those, that is 107.5thefan.com. Number nine right now at 239-1070. Number nine is going to get, I think, a family four-pack. That's what this is, right? Hoosier Hardwood Festival. Boone County Fairgrounds. Jake Query, in fact, for the noon show. Going to be out there coming up tomorrow. But a family four-pack, you get uh, chainsaws, you get a water skiing squirrel. I mean, hell, I can't even get the squirrels to get out of my way when I'm going down my road half the time. And I'm the one dodging them. I don't want to hit a squirrel like Costanza, but you'll get to see the water ski. I think Twiggy is the squirrel's name. Seriously. It's going to be a great time out there. Family four-pack of tickets for you, number nine at 239-1070. Hey, tomorrow's show, by the way, this reminder, it is once again a tavern tour stop. We're going to be at Union Jack Pub in Broad Ripple tomorrow. So I've already invited everybody except for the turds inside the lounge via YouTube Live. Um, the jerks aren't allowed to go, but everybody else in there normally is really cool. You're allowed to go, and you remember the samples. Brent Halverson, our betting analyst, is going to be there. It is going to be Sample City in Broad Ripple tomorrow, beginning at 3. A recap of tonight's game. Get uh, everybody's angle on that. And I think... I think Ted Kitchell's going to join me coming up tomorrow. There's a golf outing for Ted coming up on Monday. I want to make sure a lot of the IU folks are aware of that and for the reason of it. I think Ted's going to join us on the show at some point tomorrow. And the return, the triumphant return of Don Fisher in the 5 o'clock hour coming up tomorrow. The voice of the Hoosiers. What an outstanding day. This has been James. Great job. Josh Tolentino. Mike Chappell and actor Michael Rooker. Podcast 107.5thefan.com. Former Colts wide receiver Bill Brooks in studio. Casey Valier's here. I'm going to stick and stay until 7 as well. The Colts pregame huddle, that's next right here. 93.5, 107.5thefan. Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairground. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Mecham.com.